not the same without Brother Bill playing the piano for us, huh? Can't be impressed with him. And Melba, attending to him. Welcome, church. It's good to have everybody out this morning. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. And uh, good to see everybody's, I would say, smiling faces, but most of faces I can't see, you know. <laughs> there we go. We've got some smiling faces. Uh, so glad you, that you're here and um, just so grateful to be able to, to meet together and to worship together. And, um, and I know you're all uh, praying for our country and this world and um, things that are going on, the kind of chaos that's going on in this world. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The chaos that we seem to be living in is nothing new in reality in this world. It's a, just another consequence of sin that this world has been dealing with since the fall. Um, in this passage of scripture, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 18. We started a new chapter in John. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And uh, well, this is beginning the march of Jesus going to the cross. And so this is um, a difficult, the next few chapters are pretty difficult for us as we see uh, what, what it took for our Lord to, to save us and redeem us. Um, his death on the cross is the focal point of all human history and um, the thing that we look back towards and, and hope in for our eternal salvation. Um, this begins that they're now walking to the Garden of Gethsemane and, um, and they're going about to enter in here in John 18 and we'll let the scriptures do it. But the title of this message this morning is The Sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. There's nothing that happens in this world that... He's not an ultimate control of and over. And this is a, another passage of Scripture. The Scripture is just full of messages of God being sovereign. And either, although there's evil uh, and the evil one works tirelessly to, to against the kingdom of God, we know that the promise and we've seen God demonstrate throughout human history time and time again that God works all things together for good and uh, for his glory. He's in control. And so the one thing that I would like you guys to take away this morning is that we can rest in that. That in spite of what's happening and what's going on in this world, we can rest in knowing that God is in control. And it's our reason to remain calm in the midst of chaos. We don't need to walk in fear. If you're in Christ this morning, there is no need. That you're, you're, you're just a pilgrim passing through. The eternal life that is promised that begins on the day of salvation um, that, that is to come, the new heavens and the new earth, is, new earth is promised to you. And those are the things we hope for and look forward to because of what our God has done. And we get to celebrate that today at the end of the service in the Lord's Supper. So I'm looking forward to that as well. So let's go ahead and read the first 11 verses of John chapter 18, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer one more time. After Jesus had said these things, referring to his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, and there was a garden, and he and his disciples went, in, went into it. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. Verse 3 says, So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it that you are seeking? And Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. 
Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. And when Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Served him right. And then he asked them again, who is that you are seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. Verse 9, that this was to fulfill the words that he said in this high priestly prayer in John 17. I have not lost the ones, lost one of those you, you have given me. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given? Let's pray. Father God, we come before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord. Thankful for this opportunity to meet here this morning without fear of of, uh, being jailed for it or persecution. And we recognize, Lord, that there's many of our brothers and sisters throughout this world that do not enjoy the same privileges. And so we lift them up to your throne today and ask for your protection to be with our brothers and sisters all throughout the world, Lord that you would be glorified in them as they stand firm for you and for your, the things that, uh, that you hold high, your truth, God. And God, we also ask and pray for our country this morning, that we would stand firm in our country, that we would stand firm and stand fast for your things, the things of you, and, and God, declare your goodness, your salvation to a lost and dying world. We pray for our leaders. We pray that... Uh, you would move their hearts, that they would walk in godly wisdom. We pray for our law enforcement. We pray, pray for their protection. We pray for their families, families, God. We pray for our military, all those who are out there supporting the freedoms that we so enjoy. If anything, that during these times, Lord, it's just a, big, a huge reminder, at least to me, Father, how blessed we are to live in this country, and we pray Father, that you would move, mightily move in our country. And God, we ask now as we open up your word that you would move in our hearts, that you would stir us to good works, that you would uh, convict us of those things that we need to be convicted of, Father, and that you would you would minister to those who need to be ministered to, Lord, through the power of your spirit. And uh, God, we just pray that all that is said would be pleasing and honoring to you. And we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. All right, so we have uh, a few things going on here. We see here in verses 1 through 2 that Jesus is, the, is going to the garden. He's, he's leaving the city. He's going through the valley of the Kidron Valley uh, from Jerusalem down through the valley and up to um, the Mount of Olives, right, where the Garden of Gethsemane is at. He's on his way. He's, he's walking there with his disciples. And Judas knows that Jesus often goes there. We see in Scripture that Jesus has gone there often to retreat, to, to step away from the crowds and all that stuff. And so Judas know, knew where to get him. And we see that Judas had, had already pre-conspired with the Roman officials. That, hey, we, you know, the Roman officials, that are the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders of the time wanted to kill him. They wanted him off the scene. We've seen that in the Gospel of John. But they, the problem with Jesus was that they, he had such a following a multitude, and the more times he spent in public, the more of a multitude and followers he and disciples that he had, and so they were trying to figure out how to get rid of this guy when the when the multitudes weren't there, and so this was contrived 
Jesus knew where Jesus would spend his time away. And so we see here in this passage of Scripture that Judas did just that. He brought the Roman soldiers to, to this place. And we see here, I don't know if you can see that very well, but the blue line is the outline of J Jerusalem Temple. And we, we see here that this is probably where the upper room was. And so they're walking towards the, the, the Mount of Olives here, and there's the Valley of Kidron. So Kidron, and so this is a, you know, the temple's up on a, on a rise, and this is up on a mountain, and so this is the valley. They're walking there. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Have you, has anyone been to the Promised Land? And see, all right, Damien, didn't anybody else? All right, it's on my bucket list. I'm not supposed to covet, but I'm, I now am jealous of you guys doing that. This is a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, this is the olive trees that are there. And uh, my pastor from California, he takes tours there all the time. I don't know, how do you get back here? Do they take tours there? I guess you have to know anyway. It, but uh, he said that the, the other tour guides would say that these olive trees have been there since the time of Jesus. Were you told that? Anyway, he says it's not true. So that's his big thing. It's not true. But it looks beautiful. Hope to be there someday. But this is where this is taking place, This where in the account that we're reading here. And uh, the beautiful part, the reason why I took the time to show these things is because it's just amazing. And I'm so grateful that the faith that we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is backed up by fact, right? We have factual places that we can say, oh, something happened, and we can go and be there and visit and do excavation and, and find evidence as to the factual claims of the Bible. I'm so grateful for this. We go on here, and we see a contrast in verses 3 through 4, right? We see Judas, who's taken this company of officials to... And the, uh, from the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees, and, and they're bringing torches and lanterns and weapons to come arrest Jesus. And so we see Judas doing that. We know in the J Gospel of John that as Jesus said, hey, that what you're about to do, go and do. He, he dismisses Judas out of the upper room. He does that. And we see the scripture say that Satan entered into Judas. And so we have this battle of good and evil going on here. Satan is doing all that he can to, against, to work against the, the kingdom of God, the things of God, through Judas uh, and the religious leaders of the time to put him to death. We see that working. But then we also see this contrast of Jesus, our God of gods, our King of kings, our Lord of lords, the God of very gods who stepped into human flesh, became a man. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. He is the God-man. And we see him demonstrating his omniscience. That's the big fancy word for God knowing all things. And Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, who is it that you're seeking? What a contrast. The devil working to try and against the things of God and then Jesus knowing exactly what was going to happen. Jesus demonstrating his all-knowingness. And that is the, the divine gift of knowing and as God has revealed that he is sovereign over all things. He knows all things. Nothing has taken him by surprise. Whatever happens tomorrow is not taking him by surprise. He's already there. He knows all things. And if there's, there's anything I'd like and hope and pray that you guys would take away from this morning is that we can rest. 
that even though we are living in chaos right now, it's not hampering God. It's not hampering his sovereign working in his creation. And we can rest in that. And I want to take this opportunity to, to just focus on the fact that our God is not just a God that stands off and just like is just aloof and, and doesn't, you know, is not personal. He's a personal God. He knows you. He knows each and every one of us. He knows the struggles that you're going through. He knows the fears that you have. And he's personal. Just as salvation is a personal encounter with Jesus, after that we have a personal relationship. We're adopted into God's family. And he knows you. The psalmist reads it like this in Psalm 139. And you, this is for all of us. Jesus said that in the, his Sermon on the Mount that he knows the very numbers of our hair almost. And the joke is, it's easier to count for some of us than others, right? But he knows us. Lord, you have searched me and known me, O God. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. And so he goes to you as well. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me, right? It blows my mind that God must know us that way. Hold all things, all the creation, right, into it, keep it all, all going. He is so good, but yet so personal. And so I don't want us to miss that. We can rest in his sovereignty and we can rest that those of us who are in Jesus Christ, he's personal to you. He knows you. He cares for you as a father and a mother loves a son or a daughter. Even better, perfectly. We see here that God, this this idea of God's sovereignty, uh, is was in the the plan of salvation through the death on the cross. That Jesus going to the cross was uh, established before the foundation of the world. God is sovereignly working these things out. He he established it before creation was even uh, put into place. And we see here that God, the gospel plan of Jesus isn't just a plan B. Wasn't God up there going, Oh no, what do I do now? I guess I'll send. Uh, you know, God the Son to, right, it, it, this was the plan from the very beginning. And we, we see the plan of uh, the first mention of the gospel of grace, even in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, right? And Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, if you partake of the fruit, you will die. They partake of the fruit, they sin. They become spiritually separated from their God by doing so. He pursues them, right, covers them with a, with animal clothing, then he goes to the devil and he announces the curse. He also gives them, announces to Adam and Eve the consequences of their sin. But then he goes to the, the devil here in the form of a serpent and he announces his curse. And his interaction is again the devil, the evil one, trying to work against the things of God. And so 
we see here that the devil thinks he might have won because he caused Adam and Eve to fall, and we see God saying, no, no, it's not the case. You might have won the battle, but I will ultimately win the war. He goes, says to him, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Right? He's, he's done this. He's caused them to fall by temptation. But we see that this hostility that he's going to put between the woman and the devil are, is a he. Right? He. Personal pronoun. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So yes, Jesus, or the devil, the, the evil one, through, through the, this, this gospel account here in John chapter 18, we see the evil one working against the things of God and Jesus ultimately going to the cross and, and the devil striking his heel, Jesus' heel in that. But ultimately we see that in that very act, Jesus defeats death, defeats the consequence of sin, defeats the evil one. You may strike his heel, he says, but he will strike your head. So this gospel, the first mention of the gospel is in the very first book of the Bible. And the Bible goes on to proclaim and reveal who this he will be. And we have the benefit of looking back and knowing who the he is, right? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, it's God's predetermined plan for this to all be playing out. And again, and this is a, an effort to show you that we can rest in the assurance and the knowledge of knowing that he's in control. Fellow Israelites, this is uh, Acts chapter 2. This is Peter, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, the church, the Holy Spirit coming down upon the church, and he stands up and proclaims this uh, this wonderful gospel proclamation in Acts chapter 2. Thousands are saved, and he begins by saying, Fellow Israelites, listen to, to these words. The, the, this Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs. We've seen those miracles, wonders, and signs in the gospel of John, have we not? That God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. But though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Here we are yet again with a beautiful demonstration of those things that are meant for evil, God turning into good. Our ultimate good. It is through this in which we can obtain and been redeemed and have atonement for our sin. We can have salvation because even though they nailed him to the cross, it was God's predetermined plan that we would be saved. Praise be to God. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Jesus defeated the consequences of sin and all those who are in him have that same victory. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death. When we believed and received him, we're identifying that we are dead with him in his death, and then raised again in newness of life in order that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. And so we identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We say we will receive and believe that his death, burial, and resurrection is our means in which we can be reconciled to our God, that as he rose from the grave, 
one day the promise of Scripture is that all those who believe in him will raise again one day as well. He's provided victory over death, and no matter what happens in this life, this is of the utmost importance. That you have this eternal life that is freely given to you by receiving and believing the gospel message. And those who are in Christ and disciples of Christ and following after Christ, we, we saw in John 16, Jesus was remember preparing them for him going to the cross. He's like, look, you guys are not, your guys' faith is going to be rocked. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. You're going to, your, 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 your faith and who you think I am is going to be challenged. The world's going to come against you in those things. But I, I, I want to give you the, I want to tell you that I'm giving you these gifts that are going to help you through your trials of faith. And it's the same gifts that we enjoy today. He's given us the Holy Spirit that indwells the hearts of every believer who receive and believe Jesus, who empowers us for a godly living and to live a life that, that seeks to please and honor God. He's given us his word, his uh, inspired, uh, preserved word that, that we can cling to. And we know the Spirit uses us as a sword in our hearts and our souls and as a filter for our thoughts and our emotions. All these things can be ran through the word and through the teaching and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's given us these tools, church. He's given us the opportunity to pray in the authority of Jesus. And he's given these things because even though we're going to have trials in this world, even though we're going to live in a world of chaos, he desires us to have the joy in knowing who we truly are in Christ. John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. doesn't mean we're going to be excused from the suffering. Be courageous, he says. Be of good courage, the King James translation says. I have conquered the world. Jesus has overcome it. And so, yes, we're in chaos, and yes, we need to do everything and, and plead to God and, and be the light in this world and, and pursue godly things with our power and right to vote and all those things that doesn't take away from those things, but ultimately we rest in the assurance of knowing that God's ultimately in control. And he will work greater things than we can do. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But we see here another contrast. We see Peter re reacting in his flesh. In the last remaining verses, 5 through 11, Jesus is not this, they said. I am he, Jesus told them, Jesus, Judas who betrayed him is also standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, they all stepped back and fell to the ground. Isn't that amazing? He's, he's evoking I am, the I am from, from the Exodus. Who shall I tell them who sent me? Tell them I am has sent you, the, the ego of me. God has proclaimed it. Jesus comes in and he begins to proclaim himself as the I am, right? We have the seven I am statements in John. Before Abraham was, he says I am. And here he says it again. I am he, ego of me. And we, to be honest, most of them weren't, don't have the Jewish background. They probably wouldn't know that. But whatever he said and however he said it and the power that was demonstrated in that declaration, right, caused these soldiers with all their torches and their weapons to fall back onto the ground. That's Peter. And then he asked them again, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. And 
my pastor from California, he, he, you know, he was thinking, they're on the ground going, Jesus of Nazareth, you know, all scared now. I told you I'm he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. And then it's those to, to fulfill the words that he had said in John 17, his prayer to the Father that none of them would be lost. He fulfills that. He's protecting them in this circumstance. And then we see in verse 10, Simon Peter lashing out in his flesh. And then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter, I can just imagine, and I've done this so many times, I, I feel so right, right. I have this righteous indignation. I'm so angry. This is right. I need to act out on this. And, and, G, and Peter, you know, he's already promised Jesus that he was going to do this, that he'd, he'd, he'd die for Jesus. And Peter had already rebuked him for that, right? Get behind me, Satan. But here he is, lashing out, even though he's been told not to do it. He lashes out in his flesh. He cuts off his ear. And he, I'm sure he felt he was totally in the right. And then he gets rebuked. Put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? And again, he refers to this cup. And we know through other, John doesn't record it, but the other Gospels do record uh, more detailed events of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know that they arrive in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jesus told them to pray, to watch and pray while he went alone and to be with the Father, to pray to the Father, to be spiritually right renewed and refreshed to, for the thing that he was about to face. And at that time, he, Jesus prays the prayer to, to the Father saying, Father, if it, if any of all possibility, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. It is the cup that the Father had given the Son to partake for the salvation of us, of mankind. And he's rebuking and correcting Peter for stepping in between what was to surely, was, to, was meant to happen before the foundations of the world. And as I was studying this, you know, I've often thought, just kind of assumed that Peter, as we read on, Peter denies the Lord three times, just as Jesus told him he would. And I just assumed that it was because he was fearful that he was going to be persecuted as well. But we see here in this circumstance that he wasn't fearful at first, right? He sees a whole legion of soldiers. He comes and he pulls out a sword and says, let's go. He's a very courageous thing. And so why did he deny, suddenly then deny Jesus? And Scripture doesn't really say this, and this is just my opinion, but maybe, maybe it wasn't just out of fear of persecution for being a follower of Jesus. Maybe it was just because that he felt so shameful that he didn't measure up to what Jesus had asked him to be. Ever felt that way? You just don't measure up? uses this experience of Peter's denial right later in the study and we'll focus more on it as we get in to the end of John but Jesus uses this op this this circumstance in, in Peter's life to build him up right to make him to grow to sanctify him but maybe it was because he just felt so shameful he just have you ever been there just you're just spun out you just don't know what to think anymore 
just confused. You see your rabbi, your master, your teacher, your Lord being let off to prison. He, you know, you tried to defend him, and you were rebuked by it. And it wasn't the only time Peter was rebuked like that, right? He was also rebuked in the garden. He says here in Mark 14, uh, Jesus, they're coming in before the soldiers come. They're in the garden. Then he came and found them sleeping. Jesus found his disciples sleeping. He told them to watch and to pray. And he said he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? And he goes on, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Have an amen to that one, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But um, Jesus is telling Peter, look, there's something coming that you need to be spiritually fortified. You need to be spiritually renewed. You need to battle this spiritually. You need to receive power from on high in this, these things that have come. That's what Jesus was going to the Father for. He's demonstrating by example what they need, but instead they're sleeping. And he says, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. So there's his first rebuke. And so maybe his denials were because he just felt so shameful that he just couldn't live up. I don't know. But I can certainly So the passage of Mark goes on. Once again, Jesus went away and prayed, saying the same thing, that the same prayer, Father, uh, let this pass, but, but nevertheless, your will be done. And then he again came back and found them sleeping, even though he'd been rebuked and still sleeping, because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to pray for. And so we see this opportunity, this time in Peter's life where he had a moment, a, a time to, to face these trials uh, in the warfare that we're truly in, and that's a spiritual warfare, not a f- fleshly or physical warfare. These things that are going on in this world is a battle of, of the evil one versus the kingdom of God. It has always been that way. And we need to be reminded of that today. Maybe Peter felt ashamed because he didn't do what he needed to do to be the person that Christ asked him to be, and that is to pray and watch him. Instead, he reacted out in his flesh. And so I just want to close with these three things that I see in the text that we have this morning for us. What can we do in the midst of our chaos? What What is this, just this passage alone, there's many things that scriptures call us to do in these times, right? But just in this passage alone, there's three things that I think that we just should maybe focus on in the midst of our chaos, how we can be calm, how we can remain uh, assured that God is in control, and that, I guess that's the first point. Rejoice in the assurance that God is in control. Rest in that. Knowing that He is in control and He knows you and He knows your struggles. He's a compassionate high priest in Jesus. Second is abide, right? John 15, abide in me as a branch abides in the tree. The only way we can bear fruit spiritual fruit is by abiding. And for me, that was important, even though I kind of pulled it out of John 15, because I'm so quick to keep my eyes on what's going on. I'm so quick to see what's going on on Fox News that I get distracted on what's going on here, and I get fearful. And the 
scriptures call us to. Yeah, we need to be aware and be present here, but we also need to keep our focus on that. Eyes, spiritual eyes upon Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, right? Hebrews says, the author and perfecter of our faith. Keep our eyes on him, knowing he's in control. He knows the struggles we're having. And third, watch and pray. Right? I wonder what would happen. What would happen? And these are the questions I, I want to answer you or ask you when you have time, right? I'm about to ask Peter, what what was going on? What what were you struggling with? Do you think if you would have done what Jesus did and been, you know, and prayed and, and built yourself up spiritually, like you would, you know, but that's not what he did, right? Watch and pray. These the scriptures declare that to us because we know it's a spiritual battle battle. Paul says in Corinthians. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God to the demolition of strongholds. It's a spiritual war that we're fighting. And we have, as God's children, the opportunity to watch and to pray and intercede for our country, for our leaders, for our families, for our neighbors. That's what he's called us to do. Ephesians six eighteen, Paul writes, Pray at all times in the Spirit. After he said, Put on the whole armor of God. Every day you can't go out in this world without putting on the armor of God. He closes with pray at all times in the spirit. With every prayer and request. Stay alert, right? Watch. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So those are three things that we can take with us. From our, just out of this passage this morning. Of how we can be assured in the midst of our chaos and what's going on in this world. God's in control. He's given us the opportunity to abide in Christ and keep our focus on Him. And He's given us the opportunity to watch, to be alert, and to pray. Pray and pray for our country. Let's pray. God, I love you. and We love you, Lord, and we're thankful for this opportunity to open up your word, to see this uh, Jesus' uh, walk to the cross, Lord, and just so grateful that you've made a way of salvation through him that he alone is uh, the way in which we can have a relationship and eternity and eternal life father through him and we're so grateful god we just pray that you would help us to reflect that to those around us in our community in our families lord and uh, we pray for opportunity to, to share the good news to the waitress to the grocery clerk our next door neighbor we desperately need to, to hear this beautiful message of this beautiful gift of salvation you've given to us we just pray lord that you would use us in that way god we ask that you would help us by the power of your spirit to be assured that you're in control help us god equip us to keep our focus on you to run this race that you've given us lord with endurance not of our own but of through the enabling power of your spirit and god help us to appreciate and pursue this beautiful gift of prayer that often you use God your people the prayers father as the means to the end thank you for that privilege God help us help us to do these things for your glory's sake we ask it in Christ's precious and powerful name amen all right we're gonna just sing uh, Jesus paid it all this is a song of invitation if You've been convicted about uh, your need for salvation, uh, this need to know Jesus, to interact with him personally as a way and means in which you can have eternal life.
I really, I'd love to have the, the honor to show you out of uh, the scriptures how you can know for a surety how you can have a relationship and eternal life through him and what he's done. It's also time for God's people to pray, sing a praise to him, whatever God's working on in your heart. Uh, this is the time to do that right now.